Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 5. As we start a new chapter in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, and I've entitled our message today, How God Deals with Hypocrisy in His Church. How does God deal with hypocrisy in His church? And let's face it, one of the big problems that the church is dealing with today and has for every generation is the issue of hypocrisy. Or I would even say more importantly, not only the issue, it is the sin of hypocrisy. God help us to be men and women of truth, living real, authentic, open lives, not trying to hide anything, but just being honest. Because I'm sure, I'm sure you have shared with someone, if you haven't heard it yourself, You've heard of this phrase where you're sharing with someone about your church, you're maybe giving the gift of a Bible, or you're inviting someone to church, or listen to the radio, or whatever you're doing, and what's the response? You know, I don't want anything to do with your religion, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I don't want anything to do with your Bible, I definitely don't want anything to do with your church, because the church is filled with hypocrites. And you know what? It would be really easy for you to become very defensive, and try to explain it away, but I want you to consider that there's a good chance that that phrase or that thought that the church is filled with hypocrites has come directly from that person you're talking to meeting a real hypocrite and being burned by them, being hurt by them. Because here's the truth, the church is filled with normal people. I think sometimes people think, well, the church is filled with perfect people, or at least they think they're perfect, and I'm not perfect, so I don't want anything to do with them. Because I, I, if they're perfect and they're not living perfect, then they must be hypocrites. Well, let me say, by, as we begin here, it's very important that we define hypocrisy. And the first way I want to define it is by what hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy is not someone who believes something strongly and devotes their life and strives to live out their beliefs, but fail along the way. That's not hypocrisy. Part of life is failure, a part of life is stumbling, a part of life is falling flat on our face, and for the person that is desiring to follow Jesus, desiring to obey him, have that high ideal that God gives us in his word, but also fails at the same time, that's not a hypocrite. That's not that's genuine, committed Christianity, the desire to follow Jesus. That's you and me. We have standards that God has laid before us, and we desire to live up to those standards, and yet at times we fall so short from them, and we fail from time to time. That doesn't make us a hypocrite. It doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you normal. Now, before you you leave here, they go, well, pastor said we can live as hypocrites because that's normal. No, no, no. No, because as a believer in Christ, you don't want to live a normal life. You want to live a supernatural life. You want to be above the norm. You don't want to just settle for what's down here. That's what you were living with and for before you became, before you were born again, before you came to Christ. You don't want a normal life. You want a supernatural life. You want to accomplish things that you could never accomplish in your own strength, in your own power. But man, falling short, making mistakes, maybe falling into past sin, 
That's normal. It's unfortunate because it comes with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of difficult. It's unfortunate, but it happens. No, a hypocrite is a hypocrite is a person that purposely lives a lie. You could even say, if you want to be bold about it, a hypocrite, he or she is a liar. They're not telling the truth about their life. They live a lie, all the while wanting people to think the best about them while they live the worst. They have one life that they live openly for people to see, while all the while they are far and distant from God themselves. A hypocrite is someone who lives a lie. And, and I thought of some words that would be connected to hypocrisy, so in the future you can kind of understand the world in which a hypocrite lives. Words like duplicitous, where they have, they're two-faced. You ever use the phrase two-faced? They're duplicitous. They have two faces about them, or three, or four. They're disingenuous. Any of you that have had to deal with someone that's disingenuous, you know how painful that is. They are dishonest and disloyal and deceitful. It describes a hypocrite is a, is, is a word that describes a person that lives his life one way, but when she's around others, she lives her life another way. And they're not living the truth. The, the Greek word, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. The Greek word for hypocrite is actually very similar because they just transliterated it into the English. It's hypocrites, And it literally means to wear a mask. The Greek word comes to us from the Greek plays. And how they would present themselves in the playhouse would be by wearing a mask. Most of the actors in the Greek playhouse were male. So that if there were any female parts they would do what? They would put on a female mask to portray that character in the play. Or some of you may even remember this uh, and see this by the logo where there's two masks together, a happy and a sad mask, the Greek mask. So, so if they wanted to portray happiness, they put a happy mask on. If they wanted to portray sadness, they put a sad face with a little tear on it. It's hiding behind a mask. That's what hypocrisy is, where you see the mask, but you don't see the real person. Hypocrisy. The problem with hypocrisy is that many people believe they're more convincing to others than they really are, like you're getting away with it. You want to appear to be something different, but it's just a matter of time before your true self is found out. And I could say that living the life of a hypocrite is just a waste of your time. Why in the world would we ever choose to live a lie, to, to live in a life of deceitfulness, to, to, I'll tell you why. I mean, it's an open-ended question, but I'll tell you why. Because of pride and arrogance and self-centeredness. And it's not the life that God has for you. It's not his desire. It's not why you were saved. It's not why the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you so you could keep living a lie. He has much more for you if you'll just cooperate with him. But God does deal with hypocrisy. He doesn't allow it to continue. We find that in Acts chapter 5 today. We're introduced to two people by name. You know, there's not many people that are named in the New Testament, but when they're named, it's usually significant. And we find two people by name today who were found out for their hypocrisy. Remember the context of where we are. Picking up back in Acts chapter 4, notice with me in verse 32, it's a really sweet time in the life of the church. It says, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And you probably already circled that, and you wrote next to it, unity. They're experiencing a beautiful unity in the spirit. 
So much so that many of them started selling their stuff and donating it to the church, and the church would be redistributing it. Why? Because in this early time of the church, they're so excited about their new life. They, they have such a deep heart for the lost, such a deep heart for the needs throughout Jerusalem, that as they are giving of themselves, they're literally putting it on the line. And we learn that this isn't normative. It, it actually, their desire to do this actually didn't work very well. It isn't something that continued throughout the book of Acts. But, but you have to just really be blessed by their desire to do something for the Lord, just to take that step of faith, just to lay it all on the line, especially with their possessions, with what they owned, and say, I want to help the lost. I want to help the hurting. I want to help. And notice it says in verse 36 now, Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement, he was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. He had land, he sold it, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the Jerusalem church right now, which is where we are, the churches in Jerusalem, is filled with the Spirit of God. They're bursting at the seams with the good news of the gospel. They're worshiping together, they're eating together, enjoying communion together, they're learning together, growing together, sharing all their material possessions together. And here we find Barnabas gets the attention as a Levite, he gets the attention for selling his land and bringing it. And then there's this dramatic change you'll notice in Acts chapter 5 verse 1. It starts with the word, but a very significant word of contrast. The church is hopping. It's doing great in unity, worshiping, singing, joy-filled, everything about it. They're at the high point, kind of like the disciples. They're at the high point with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see Jesus change there. They're, they're in a place. Peter's so taken aback by it. He goes, let's just build some tents here. Let's never leave. But you know as well as I do, life isn't lived on the mountaintops, it's lived in the valley. So what happens? They come down the mountaintop and what's waiting for them? But a demon-possessed person. The devil's always waiting for you down the hill and he's always there, ready to take on. And he, in chapter four, has single-handedly tried to destroy the church. The, Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin with the guy that got healed and what did they say? Don't you ever, don't you ever preach in this man's name again. They try to threaten them and make them fearful. And of course, Peter gives to us, hey, I don't know what your deal is. I'm paraphrasing. It's the Ed Taylor paraphrase. I don't know what your deal is. You want us to obey God or man, but I'll tell you what, we're going to obey God. And they left with greater boldness than when they started. Why? Because you can't threaten a believer that's walking in the Spirit. It will not stop a believer. It will only give more boldness to the authenticity and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And so you got there, you can't speak ever in the name of Jesus. Hey, look, look, we're not going to listen to you. And I love he was very tactful and very kind, but he basically said, no, we're not going to listen to this. And thousands are getting saved, and it's a great joy, but there's always conflict. And there's great contrast here, because in chapter 4, you see this external attack on the church. Thousands are getting saved, and then the enemy of our souls is using this religious body. These, you know, the attack comes from people you would never even expect, which is usually the case. 
and they come against the church and they don't listen. The devil is not successful with outward persecution. So what does he do? He comes in, inside. He comes inside the church. And how does he do that? Through these guys. It says a certain man named Ananias. If you like to write in your Bible, circle that. His name means God is gracious. So here is gracious along with his wife, Sapphira. Her name means beautiful. And, and you know, in the first century, Hebrew names were very significant. These were, that they would speak of or intended to speak of the character of a person. So here's gracious and beautiful coming and they decided like Barnabas to sell a possession, it says. We know later what that possession was because in verse three, it says that it was the price of the land. So they're doing exactly what Barnabas did. They're selling their land. But notice in verse two, it says, he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it, his wife being aware of it, they brought a certain part and they laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was, was, after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. On the backdrop of great joy and great unity is great deception and great hypocrisy. Right in the midst. It would be similar, you know, in a room this large, filled with this many people, with many watching online, listening on the radio. Let's, let's just be real here. Definitely, hypocrisy is among us. If you play the percentages, there are hypocrites among us. And it just shouldn't be so. It's not God's heart for you. There's no need to live a lie or to be deceitful. But many choose that route. And Ananias and Sapphira were part of this church. They were at the worship services. They were at the communion table. They were there when they were, they were studying the word. They were, they were living out Acts 2.42 like everyone else. But... They were also plotting and planning in the secrets of their home and their heart to defraud the church, to defraud them. The problem with this, the problem of this sin was not that they kept back any of the proceeds. There's no instruction anywhere in the scriptures that the church ever needs to do this. This was just an overflow of their love. They were giving as a free will offering. God had touched their hearts, you know, perhaps just so excited about the return of Christ. And so they're going, I don't need any of this. Jesus is coming back. And they have a heart to help the poor, heart to help the widows, as we'll see in Acts 6. Their, their heart was just in tune with the Lord, but they're never told to do this, never instructed to do this, never commanded to do this. And here's Ananias and Sapphira perhaps watching the kind of attention that Barnabas is getting. And they want the same attention, but they also want their stuff. So they want to be seen by, like Barnabas, but they don't want to live like Barnabas. They're two-faced. They want to present something to the church, but all the while be something behind the mask. And you know, pride is a, is a really dangerous thing in your life and mine. Pride. The, the pride of life. It's one of the things that God hates. He hates those that deceptively lie. 
and have a proud look. God hates pride. According to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, it says, These six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. And the very first thing on the list is a proud look. And pride will get the best of men and the best of women every single time. Why? Because pride always leads to lying in one form or another, dishonesty. Lies are the doorway and the gateway to hypocrisy and compromise. It was Oliver Wendell Holmes that said this, and I quote, sin has many tools, but the lie is the handle that fits them all. At the root of sin is dishonesty and pride and arrogance. So here they are. They have this conspired. Hypocrisy is a sin of the heart. And we see in verse three, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Well, wasn't it yours when it, you, it remained with you? After it was sold, wasn't it under your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. So while Ananias and Sapphira are lying, Peter is flowing. What do you mean, Ed? He's flowing in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gave him a word of knowledge in the moment, and he responded just like he did with the guy at the gate when he picked him up and said, get up. I mean, that was a gift of faith, a word of knowledge. It was amazing what God is doing in Peter's life right now because he's continually filled with the Spirit. But, but I, I think you have to think about it in, this, in the context of your own church family for a moment. Let's just bring it into the 21st century. You know, not too long ago, we, we have and we're continuing to ask for donations for the U Ukraine Relief Fund. Those monies are being distributed. They're helping many, all, all sorts of different ways in all sorts of areas surrounding Ukraine. And, and it's an amazing thing. But imagine if we did that publicly. We didn't do it publicly. We won't do it publicly. But let's just say, instead of going online, you go, here's how you give. We're gonna have a big box right up here on the stage and you just come and bring your offering. We'll tell everybody how much it was and we will clap, yay, look at this. And so boom. Boom, boom, boom. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's happy. Yes, we're all happy. I'm running the stage. This is amazing. This is awesome. And then you come up with your wife or your husband and you come up and you put it in and everything stops. I said, stop, stop, stop. Why are you guys lying to God? And you're like, Ed, what's your problem, man? They're just giving like everyone else. But God would drop in my heart a revelation of your heart that you look like everyone else, you seem like everyone else, but you're actually living a lie and you're exposed for everyone to see. Don't you think it would be hard to be standing in Peter's shoes? <laughs> it's very hard to speak the truth in love. Very difficult. Most of the time, speaking the truth in love is very challenging because the person that you're sharing with doesn't want to hear the truth. But we must be the church of Jesus Christ that dwells in truth. We must be. You, you must have an expectation when you come to worship here, when you become a part of the family here, where this is your home church, where you're going to raise your kids, you're going to raise your family, you're going to grow in grace together. You must come with an expectation. Listen, you have to expect that this will be a place where truth is valued and honored and spoken in love, but spoken strongly. 
spoken without a shame. I would just say unashamedly, I would expect the pastors, the leaders, and the fellowship family to speak truth to one another, even and especially when it's hard. And, and as I think in just kind of the little scenario that's set up here, I think it would be extremely challenging in a time where we're all excited. Look what God is doing. Look at the giving. Look at what God has done. And then all of a sudden, God stops and goes, not these guys. These guys, they're lying. And Peter, I want you to expose them. I want you not to celebrate like you did with Barnabas. I want you to tell them, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Wasn't everything yours? Wasn't it given to you? Isn't it under your control? Why, why are you doing this? Why have you chosen to lie to the Holy Spirit? Why have you and your wife, you have developed this in your heart to lie? And I want you to notice the lie wasn't to Peter and the lie wasn't to the church. The lie was to God. And if you read this very quickly, you may miss the theological significance of two simple verses. Notice with me in verse three, they lied to the Holy Spirit but in verse 4, he says, you're not lied to men, but to God. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying and affirming the doctrine of the Trinity in that the Holy Spirit is God. Not some force, not some it, not something like electricity, as some false teachers will say. I mean, if anybody ever comes to you and says, well, I don't think the Holy Spirit is God, just open up your Bible, turn it upside down so they can read it, and just say, read me what this says. Lie to the Holy Spirit, lie to God. Who's he talking about here? It couldn't be clearer. The Holy Spirit is God. And you, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you grieve God. And when you quench the Holy Spirit, you quench the very power of God in your life, the very person of God in your life. And this is a momentous time for the early church. It is groundbreaking. It is setting the tone for the future of the church right here in the very beginning as God deals with hypocrisy. He deals with pretending. He deals with those that are disingenuine, that are duplicitous. Before we see how they're dealt with, I want to step back and just draw attention once again to Peter being in the Spirit. He's been filled with the Spirit. He's walking in the Spirit. He's speaking in the Spirit. Why is that so important? Well, according to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it, we know that we are unable to do anything on our own. It's not by my might and not by my power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. That's one of the foundational principles of our church family, Zechariah 4, 6. We are unable to accomplish the work of God in the strength of man. Just don't even try. Don't even waste your time. Because you may accomplish something, but not for God. Because we need to do God's way, we need to do God's will, God's way, in God's power. And so we need the Holy Spirit. But here, there's a significant, there's a significant addition that Spirit God gives to Peter here, just like he did at the gate. But this is more significant because it speaks to God's desire for purity to be in his church. And why did Peter need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit here or a yielding to the Spirit? Simply because the Holy Spirit knew more about this situation than Peter did. 
Because again, back to our illustration, if everybody's giving, everybody's donating, everybody's giving, like we don't know anything. I don't know how much it is. I don't know if you say you sold your house, then you sold your house. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how much of your land. I don't know how much you're bringing. All I know is I'm celebrating that God is moving in our church. You gave and you gave, and this is awesome. We're gonna help so many people. But when there's, when, what the Holy Spirit knows, everybody's heart. Everyone listening to me right now, even as this airs on the radio two years from now, the Holy Spirit knows the people listening. The Holy Spirit knows us now. He knows far more than we know. And it's important that we know what he knows so we can serve him well. It's really important for us to gain the heart and the knowledge of God through his spirit. Not too long ago, we went through a study through all the gifts of the spirit, all the manifest. So the gifts of the spirit, seven of them are in Romans 12. The manifestations of the spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 the offices or positions of the power of the Spirit in Ephesians 4, and that's all available on our app. If that's something you need to learn about, especially the word of knowledge, you should go back and study them. It'll bless you and encourage you. Not too long from now in Acts, we'll be somewhere where we'll go through at least the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit together so we can learn afresh where we belong in the body. But the whole study of the person and the power and the presence and the gifts of the Spirit are all available online and on our app. And I think it's important that you realize the significance of what it is to be dwelt with the Holy Spirit, what it is to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit knew about Ananias and Sapphira's scheme. He knew what gracious and beautiful were doing in the secret places of their home, even more so the secret places of their heart. I, I don't know. As a pastor of this church, I don't know what's happening in the secrets of your home and I don't know what's happening in the secrets of your heart, but I can trust that God does. And whatever God desires to reveal, he'll reveal. You, you need to live in that way. You need to know that there's no such thing as hidden sin. Do you know that? There's no such thing as hidden sin. You're like, oh boy, wait a minute, Ed. There's a couple things that you don't know about me. Yeah, but like, who am I? You, you think it matters whether you hide it from me or not? It doesn't matter. You're not hiding it from God. Oh yeah, maybe your wife doesn't know. Maybe your husband doesn't know. Maybe the pastor doesn't know. Maybe your boss doesn't know. But God knows. It's not hidden. It, you, the Bible describes us standing before God in the, one of the most intimate and vulnerable ways we could ever stand. Open and naked before God. He knows all things. And, and it's best church to come clean. Come clean. One of the principles I've adopted over the years uh, that the way to describe this is this in my life. I would rather live with the consequences of obedience any day, week, or month of the year than the consequences of disobedience. Because it's going to be painful either way. Like sin always brings pain, always brings difficulty, but disobedience makes it worse. Because for a believer, now you're sinning against knowledge. You know how we would say this, you should know better. Well, you do know better. And when you choose to sin against something where you do know better, it's going to bring great pain to your life. It's never too late to repent, never too late to come back. Don't let the consequences scare you from making a good decision. You don't want to follow the pathway of Ananias and Sapphira here because they don't get out okay. They don't get out well. But before we get to that, let's talk about secret sin. Would you turn over to Numbers chapter 32 with me, please? Numbers, all the way back. Numbers chapter 32. 
try as she might, try as he might, a Christian cannot hide their sin. There is no such thing as secret sin. And I want to draw a few verses together for you so you can jot them down, you can write them in the margin, because Ananias and Sapphira are living out these principles right before our eyes. Notice with me in Numbers 32, verse 22, talking about the land being subdued before the Lord. And afterward, you can return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. And then he says, but, we want to listen carefully. If you do not do so, take note. You have sinned against the Lord and mark this, these words. Be sure your sin will find you out. You can be sure of it. There's a lot of things in life that you can't be sure of, but I'll tell you this right now. You can be sure that your sin will find you out. You can be sure that which you're trying to hide and that which you're trying to run away from and that which you're trying to cover and that which you're putting on a face for, you can be sure it will find you out. And if you're unconvinced, there are many among us who have gone this route and their sin was found out and they would probably give you this testimony that when your sin finds you out, it always happens at the worst time and the worst place, right? Because hypocrisy is this form of control. Like I can control it all. I can control what you think about me, what you think about, I could put on my faces, but sin will always find you out. And, and, and notice in the scripture, it doesn't say that God will find you out as if God's chasing you around to try to expose your sin. He knows all about it. It's not God that will find you out. He already knows. It's your sin that will be exposed. It'll come out in behaviors. It'll come out in difficulties. It'll, it'll come out in the hospital. It'll come, it'll come out in a variety of different ways, but you will be unable to hide your sin and suffer the consequences along the way, including the sin of hypocrisy. It was the great evangelist Billy Sunday that said this, and I quote, hypocrites in the church, yes, and also in the lodge, and also at home. He says, don't hunt through the church for a hypocrite. Go home and look in the mirror. Hypocrites, yes, and I love this. See that you make the number one less. And that's really the key. Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to live open and honest and authentic life. But that also means that people are going to see your flaws they're going to see that you're not quite what they thought you were, and you're just going to have to deal with it. And so here's the thing. You, you, you either have the fear of God or the fear of man. And you know, the fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. You'll never be able to please man. You'll never be able to, you'll never be able to accomplish what you think you need by simply putting on a mask. Sin will never get you where you want to go. It'll actually take you places you never thought you'd be destroying you from the inside out. That's how hypocrisy starts. It starts so subtle, so small. And then it grows over time as we are concerned about what are people going to think about us? What are they going to say about us? What are they going to post about us? Whatever it might be. Will this offend them? And you start trying to work the room and work the people and work your family. And before you know it, you're not even yourself. You're living a lie. And living a lie is hypocrisy. Let me show you another verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. These all go together. There's three verses I want you to stack together. Numbers chapter 32, verses 22 and 23. Add to that Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and I draw your attention to verse 11. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. 
And, and this is how it works. You know, you step out and you got this little subtle temptation. And then listen to what the Bible says. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore, there's that phrase again, the heart, where did hypocrisy start? The heart, the hearts of the son of men are fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet surely I know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. What is Solomon telling us here? He's saying this. As you go on the route of sin and you're not caught, your heart gets harder and you continue on the route of sin. And what happens? You don't get caught, your heart gets harder and harder. And what does a hard heart do toward God? Nothing. There's no connection. He says, because you haven't been caught, your heart just thinks, I'm going to continue to do it. Because they haven't found out yet, I'll just keep doing it. And, and there are those even listening right now that would say, but Ed, you don't know, I haven't been caught. You don't know. She doesn't know. I, nobody knows. Nobody, only I really know, and I'm not telling anybody. I haven't been caught. Well, to those of you that are thinking that right now, I want to suggest that you add one word to that phrase. She doesn't know. He doesn't know. I haven't been caught. I want you to add one word. You ready? Yet. Why? Because your sin will find you out. Because your hard heart will be broken. And it's such a better life to live an open and honest life. What the Bible would describe a life in the light, not darkness not shadows, not excuses, not game playing, but just walking in the light, which brings us to our third verse. Go over to 1 John chapter 1. They all go together. You want to avoid hypocrisy? You want to avoid what happens with Ananias and Sapphira in your life? Then just know you're not getting away with anything. It'll be exposed. Better to come clean now on your own. Let the Lord do the work of restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness. Come clean Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then this is how you live your life. Verse 7, chapter 1, 1 John. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia, fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The, the most profound things in the Bible are the simplest you want a life that really honors God and pleases others and, you know, that the kind of life where even your enemies will be at peace with you, then just let your ways please the Lord. Walk in the light. Let, let the light of God expose whatever it is in your life because if anything's exposed, you want to deal with it anyway. You want to come clean, right? You don't want to hide. You don't want to play games. You don't want to be messing around, especially within the church, especially in this world because you're dealing with the souls of men. You're dealing with your kiddos that you're raising, your grandkids, you're dealing with a boss that Jesus died for. You don't want to be messing around. You don't want to be living duplicitous life, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. I mean, if you think about it, in the spiritual realm, your deepest desire is to obey God. And it just gets drowned out by the flesh. That's why the Bible says not to make provision for our flesh. The less that we feed our flesh, the better. <laughs> because our flesh will overtake us and destroy us ultimately. Listen, the presence of heaven and the purity of the Spirit is so strong that it cannot tolerate hypocrisy. It will be revealed. It will be purged out. It will be eliminated. 
And so whatever you do today, church, choose not to lie to God. Be honest with him and let him be honest with you. Now, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Well, verse five. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And then the young men came, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Wow. I am grateful that God does not deal with us today like this. Because if he did, the church would be empty. To think about the things we carry around and how gracious, this, is, this again is not the normative thing either. This is the early part of the church that he's bringing purity, but man, I'm so glad. I hope you are too. It's like, oh no, Ed, I'll be the last one standing. Yeah, you'll be the last one, but they'll take you out too. Don't worry about it. Like we all are in the same boat. We, we all have the same frailties. We're all dealing, fighting the same battle. I mean, you got to wake up in the morning, don't you? You got to put on the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. You've got to put on the belt of truth so you're walking in holiness. You've got to put on your feet the the sandals of the gospel as you think of others. You've got to have the breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. The shield of faith to to withstand all of the arrows and the the enemy's doubts and lies that he throws towards you. You've got to have the weapon of the word in one hand, the shield in the other hand, and in your mouth the power of prayer. Because it's a battle. And Ananias, he loses the battle. His wife gets a second chance or another chance because she doesn't come in for three hours later. Notice in verse six, excuse me, verse seven, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, but she didn't know what happened. So she can come in clean. She has no idea. And Peter says, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, oh no, no, that's not right. My husband just made me do it and I'm just changing my mind. And I, No, actually, that's not what it says. What does she say? Yeah, we sold it for that much. And Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test? So they're lying, they're testing the Holy Spirit. And look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they're carrying you out too. And immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. The wages of sin is death. Now we get a little bit of a chuckle out of being happy and, and, and being pleased that God doesn't deal with us this way, that he's very gracious and merciful. He actually deals with us exactly what the name Ananias was carrying. He's very gracious. We don't get what we deserve. Please don't ever ask for what you deserve. Don't ever go into that realm because you don't want what you deserve. So we can get a quick laugh on that and we can be very grateful for it. But I want to I remind you of the seriousness of the sin of hypocrisy. Because remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God and the Bible promised and the day you eat of it, you will die. You know what happened the moment they ate of it? They died. But wait a minute, Ed, they were still alive. You're right. They were alive physically, but they were dead spiritually. They lost all the privileges of their relationship, their unadulterated, untainted relationship with God. So much so that they felt like it was the right thing to do to run away, hide themselves, and stay away from God. Because when you mix, when you mix good and evil together, evil always comes out on top. That's why they were supposed to stay away from it. Some of you don't want to stay away from things because you, ex- you want someone to explain to you, why can't I do that? You don't need the explanation. You just need to be told what to do by God. That's it. 
Just obey him. Don't, don't live by, well, if you explain it to me, then I'll do it. Like, like you're going to get the explanation. Whether you get it in, in the presence of the Lord in eternity or you disobey him and then you learn, hey, you know what? Mixing good and evil, not good. Not wise. Disobeying God, not wise. Because they were separate. So they were alive physically, but they were dead spiritually. You know what? Same thing happens today. I can't tell you how many people I've watched experience death because of the sin of hypocrisy, the sin of deceitfulness. They've lost their jobs, so their job died. They've lost their marriage, their marriage died. They've lost friendships. They've turned their back on God. They've completely, you know, we experience the wages of sin is still to this day death. It will still lead to some destruction in your life. You go, well, you know, Ed, he's not doing that anymore. You know, Ananias and Sapphira is such a unique. Yeah, thank God it's unique. But also, thank God that he keeps his word. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He keeps his promises, both sides, both parts. So don't leave here thinking, well, you know, it's going to be some kind of a less judgment on me than what Ananias, but who wants to live their life separate from God? Who wants to live their life a part of our, you know, just say, well, I'm a Christian in the 21st century, but I don't really live for God. I don't really live in God. I don't really care about God. I'm just going to have a face that I'm doing it. Why would you want to live that way? Why would you ever want to live such a lie? And I believe that's a word from the Lord. That's a real question to a real person. Why would you want to live that way? What, what benefit do you get? What gain do you get? What, what is it? You, so you hurt people. That makes you feel good. You manipulate people. It makes you feel good. You slander people. It makes you feel good. Like what kind of life do you want to live and still name the name of Christ? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you deny yourself. Take up your cross. You die to yourself. I've been doing this 22 years, served another five or six years in the church I came from in leadership, and I can't tell you how, many, how much sorrow and sadness is in my heart for people that have chosen the pathway of sin. Even over and above the truth, they don't care. And it's just destruction and difficulty is all around them. Listen, God is not going to deal with this stuff. It's not even a church issue as much as it is a God issue. You can fool us all the time, but it's not really, what difference does it make? You fool me, what do you get for that? It doesn't really matter. You haven't fooled God. And by the way, for those of you that like to study the Bible, this is one of the reasons why God has established church discipline. We believe in church discipline here. You can find it in the latter half of Matthew chapter 18. I mean, if we as a church would just follow Matthew 18 more often, and if we have a problem with the brother or a problem with the sister and just go to them, you and him alone, and just share your situation with them, there could be forgiveness, there could be glorious, uh, and like everything will be solved. 99% of the time it's solved on that level. But if there's unconfessed, unrepentant sin that is soiling and damaging the church, then the church, the elders, the leadership gets involved, and to the unrepentant, unconfessed sin and sinner, church discipline says, no, the purity of heaven, the power of the Holy Spirit says, sin, you, you can't live that way in the body of Christ. You, you can't. And you can read what it looks like in 1 Corinthians, because Paul instituted there with the church in Corinth, but then you can also see the result, the desire of church discipline is not punishment, it's restoration. We want to bring someone to their senses, 
It's like, can't you see what's happening? Don't do this. It's not get out, get out, get out, get out. No, it's come in, come in, come in. But repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we do believe in church discipline. It doesn't happen as often as you would think, but we do believe it and practice it here. Why? Because here's the result in verse 11. At the end of this, it says, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Oh, I bet it did. Great fear. Hey, you hear about that church? People die there. It's like, whoa. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it at all. I think the testimony from this episode in the early church was this. You know what? I hear about those guys, and I hear God is there, and he takes his holiness seriously. I think it was a seriousness now where the fear of God was restored and the fear of man was put in a secondary or a much lower place. And this is the way that you leave here today. You either leave here with a real fear of God, uh, awe and a reverence and surrender to him, and you have a life, yet you, you begin to live a life filled with life, or you choose the fear of man. And you try to manipulate and work this deal and get this over here and fix this over here and tell this over here. And, you know, people like that, people that live in lies, they don't even remember the lies that they shared. But if you live in the truth, all you need to do is say the truth. You don't need a good memory. People that live in the truth, you don't need a good memory. But if you're a liar, man, you're taking notes all the time, trying to figure out what did I say and who did I say it to and how did I say it? Hey, when you're living in the truth, Jesus himself, he gives you the spirit of truth. And he will bring to your memory all the things that were taught to you. Isn't that good? So church, be careful of this sin. God deals with it. It may be a little different than Ananias and Sapphira experience, but who wants to live a life separate from God? Who wants to play act? Who wants to play games with God? Who wants to, who wants to give that 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 testimony to your kids and to your grandkids and to your parents and to your, who wants that? Let's desire holiness and righteousness from God that supersedes man and supersedes even the church where your life and heart is with God, him alone, abiding in Christ. So Father, we pray for your spirit to help us to live these truths out in our lives. And even for those areas where we have been guilty, we ask, for your forgiveness. None of us stand innocent before you. There isn't one person here. None of us are innocent before you. We need you to forgive us and cleanse us. We need your blood in our lives. We, we need a fresh touch of your spirit. We need to know what you know, Lord. Reminded that our sin would find us out. Reminded that, you know, who wants to live such a low-level life when we've been given so much in you? And so I pray. I ask you to pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Give us a fresh wind of your spirit. Fill us with your agape love. The most excellent way of life is your love. Greater than the gifts, greater than notoriety, greater than attention. It's just to walk in humility and quietness, and love. And may you have your way with us, and we would grow by your grace thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. 
For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.